Warning, the following podcast is a shit show, and the individuals you are about to meet are idiots. Their opinions, anecdotes, and advice contain zero nutritional value. This is the critical human condition and all of its strangeness. This is life, according to an idiot. Here we are. All right, take two. What do you know, Mo? <laughs> we are in the first seconds hmm. of our new episode of our podcast. All right, this has been a whole day. It has been a whole day. I would like to be buried alive in the ground, <laughs> please. While you're listening to this, we have already been recording for about, um, how long has it been? 20 minutes, probably? We cannot get into it. <laughs> how we were trying to open up the episode <laughs> was such a train wreck <laughs> that like, we had to stop. We, we never stop ourselves, which is a big problem of ours. We stopped ourselves. We could, This is the least efficient way to convey the information we're trying to. So we're just starting off new. Hey, Uh, never happened. I think that's very good for us. We're progressing as podcasters. We know when to stop now and just be like, this is a fucking dead end. We're developing a filter. We can stop, start again. And here we are. Here we are. I was telling Jeremy, um, I got a cut on my cornea, which uh, was a few weeks ago now, and theoretically should be healed up and fine. Turns out it's really not fine. And I Mm. keep waking up in the middle of the night in excruciating pain where I have to walk around the house essentially blind with one eye just pouring liquids you so i can find Wait, you, you, didn't, you didn't tell me it was pouring is it like discharge or just regular it's tears just, it's just tears yeah okay, it's just tearing right. up really bad so like long story short i'm not getting much sleep right yes. and so like i got here feeling like do you know those things that uh, children do with like the shapes like the circles and the triangles and they have to fit the shapes in the holes mm-hmm. i don't feel like i could do that right now okay well let's Record a podcast episode. (laughs) (laughs) But this is, right now, the most damned (laughs) recording we've ever done. So bear with us, because on top of that, what we're going to talk about in this episode is so fucking weird. So just enjoy yourselves. We've recorded while I was manic. We've recorded while your house was actively haunted. That's right. And we were having sleep paralysis episodes at the same time. I feel like out of all of those situations, this is the most cursed episode that we are probably, <laughs> yes. <laughs> we've yeah, had so cursed, far. <laughs> cursed is the word, yeah. I have an idea of how to break this curse. I got something interesting I wanted to present oh, to you. okay, cool. A fun fact about architecture. Oh, are you Ted Mosby? What is that even? Ted Mosby, architect. Your references have no power here. Okay, well. So kiss my grits. <laughs> gargoyles. What do you think about gargoyles? I have a gargoyle, so I really like them. Where do you have a gargoyle? When I was in high school, I took French class, and the French teacher only went by Madame. Nobody knew her actual name. She was very quirky and interesting, and she had a bunch of gargoyles lying around her homeroom, and she decided to just get rid of them one day, and so I took them. So now I have gargoyles. Okay. Yeah. Well, so gargoyles are are typically fixed upon buildings. (laughs) If you don't know what a gargoyle is, then we're off to a bad start. But in case you don't know, it's been around for a very long time. However, gargoyles are only considered gargoyles if they collect rainwater and spit it out of their mouth. If a gargoyle is not collecting rainwater, then it's actually technically defined as a grotesque. Because the fundamental purpose of a gargoyle was to act as a protruding gutter that directs rainwater from the rooftop and away from the side of the building to protect the mortar, which Mm -hmm. is like the binding agent that connects bricks and stones. Right. When rainwater gets into those, it can erode it and that could damage the structure of the Mm. building. Very complicated way to solve that problem. Totally. Well, so gutters were already a thing, but gargoyles just looked cool. Yeah. So fun fact, gargoyle originates from the French gargoyle. 
I'm sure that's absolutely not Gargawilly. Which roughly translates to mean throat or gullet, loosely derived from the root gar to swallow, which represented the gurgling water. So gargoyle is like gurgle. This all just sounds repulsive. It is. Um, (laughs) Anyways, a grotesque also goes by the name Chimera and Boss. Mm -hmm. There are also regional variants on the name, like in Somerset, England, where grotesques are called Hunky punks. Oh, I like that one. <laughs> Hunky punks. Hunky funk. What I thought was so fun is that across Europe and the British Islands, you might find a unique kind of grotesque adorning castles and cathedrals called a Sheila Nagig. Oh. Grotesque depicting crude carvings of naked women displaying mm. an exaggerated vulva. <laughs> So um, the liquid pours out of the vulva? <laughs> well, so it's a grotesque. So it doesn't get so any. It doesn't, that's a great idea for a regular gargoyle. Wow. So a Sheila Nagig <laughs> would be placed over doors and windows to ward off death, demons, and general evil. It's thought that Sheila Nagigs represented the hideous, sinful nature of female lust. Oh, God. Or a pre-Christian fertility goddess. Oh. You need to see what the, one of these looks like. And yeah. I, will, I will put this on Instagram. I really want to be sprayed upon by one of these. Please and thank you. Somebody make that happen. Okay. Are you ready to see yeah. what, a, what a Sheila Nagig looks like? I sure am. Whatever you think it's going to be, it's better. <laughs> you ready? Yeah. Oh. Oh. <laughs> the not... eyes. Look at the eyes. <laughs> oh, fuck. It just looks like she's opening up her stomach and like, yeah. welcome. Come in. It is a woman exposing her own giant vulva. Mm-hmm. That is the image of the female form put to stone. <laughs> Another angle for you. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I like how she's bald. Also, why are her arms going behind her knees to open her vulva? This was clearly carved by a man. (laughs) Oh, my God. That one's better. Yeah. This will be on the Instagram so you guys can understand what we're looking at here. And I really encourage you to check it out. This this is one. What is this? Why is it hanging? Why is it hanging down from her body? Anyways, (laughs) if it ain't gargling, it ain't a gargoyle. I feel enlightened. And I feel like that's in the perfect theme of my science corner because women are hot. And my science corner is all about love and the honeymoon phase. And what can you love more than a giant vulva? Honeymoon. Oh, vulva. 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 So this is actually out of a request. This topic isn't, but the science corner is from one of our patrons. That's right. Let me see what the fuck her name was. <laughs> Mary Bates, I think. That sounds right. Mary Bates. Mary Bates is one of our patrons, and she sent us a message saying that she loves listening to us. Also, she would like it if we brought back Science Corner. She really enjoyed them. So, Mary, this is for you. And for you, I wanted to talk about love. Love. So, you probably have listened to our Soulmates episode, and if you haven't, then why are you such a poser? (laughs) You little baby child. Good question. Why are you such a poser? (laughs) This is kind of like an extension onto that lovey-dovey mood since Valentine's Day has just passed us, and we can look back on it, hopefully, with... Admiration. Let's hear about love. Science is cool, and today we are cool. The thing about the honeymoon is that it sounds delicious. The honeymoon phase as a concept is very strange to me because, like, why is it only after you get married that, like, everything seems peachy keen and then it goes to hell? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's Well, so, like, a honeymoon itself, I believe, is just to make babies. Right. It's like, hey, you've married... Go someplace romantic and just focus on... Right, like reproducing. Yes. 
Rooting a root. Couple of dogs. Couple of mutts. Fighting over a steak. Right, which is like so interesting to me. All right, you guys are married. Go fuck. Now go to your honeymoon. I don't need a honeymoon. I'll do that at any point in time. I'll repopulate whenever I feel ready, okay? Because guess what? It's a big undertaking to create life and raise a child. Let's normalize that, kids, huh? You know what is awesome? If you just slap two vulvas together, you don't have to worry about it. God, a real Sheila not gig. <laughs> is that what it was? Sheila not gig? Something like that? You're the one who did it. I don't uh, know. So there are three stages to love. There is the lust stage, which is usually controlled by the hormones, the <laughs> testosterone and estrogen, which you probably have heard before. I have, I have both of them. You do have both. Of, everybody has both. Everybody has both. And then there's the attraction phase, which is ruled by dopamine, norepinephrine, and serotonin. And then the attachment phase, which uses oxytocin and vasopressin. Household names. <laughs> I think those are cleaning supplies. You probably have heard all of those, but you don't necessarily know what they mean. So I'm going to explain it for you. What exactly the honeymoon phase is and why you feel all of these things. Okay, cool. So you start with the lust phase, right? When you first meet somebody, usually it's initial attraction that brings you to each other and makes you interested in somebody, right? Mm -hmm. Like more physical characteristics that draws you to them. And this is where testosterone and estrogen come into play because those are very tied to libido, mm -hmm. right? Which is the love-making hormone and what makes you want to just thrust up up against something and make some babies. Yeah. <laughs> So during this point in the love and honeymoon phase, you're just really wanting to slap stuff together. And then it kind of moves into... <laughs> one way to put it. One way to put it. Uh, into attraction, which uses more dopamine. And dopamine is related to the reward okay. mechanism in your brain. Yes. So like when you do something and it feels good, like eating chocolate. Yes. It's also linked to addicts. So like when you do drugs, it feels really good and your brain releases a lot of dopamine. So you get really hooked on things. Okay. So essentially you get really hooked on this person because when you're around them, your brain secretes a lot of dopamine and you just want to be around them all the time because it feels so good and nice because your brain wants you to just get addicted to them. Yeah. It also secretes a lot of norepinephrine, which makes you really giddy and energetic and euphoric. So that kind of ties into like this high feeling that mm -hmm. you usually get when you first start meeting somebody and getting yeah. to know somebody. Like everything just feels great and nice and amazing and you're just on cloud nine and... You're just not yourself, honestly. You're really just right? not yourself. <laughs> that's, that's the truth of it. It's like under the influence. I shouldn't yeah. be driving. If you're currently falling in love right now, and I'm sure some of you listening are like, I just found the perfect person, you shouldn't be allowed to drive mm -hmm. for another couple months. Right. The honeymoon phase lasts for two months usually. Somewhere okay. around there. Okay. And that's usually my rule. I need to know somebody for at least two months before I can lock anything down. Mm -hmm. Because like as soon as that wears off, do I even like you? I don't know. Who knows? The brain is a tricky thing. Mm -hmm. You have to like actually figure out if you're compatible or not. And which case you would enter the attachment phase. Oh. It's not just romantic feelings. You actually have some sort of bond with somebody. And that's thanks to the hormone oxytocin, which is the cuddle hormone. So you get this with like mothers and babies, like if they're breastfeeding or if you're cuddling with somebody or like even with dogs, you get an oxytocin burst through your brain and that makes you feel like you have a connection or a bond with somebody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a fun fact that makes perfect sense is arousal also turns off regions of our brain related to critical thinking, self-awareness, <laughs> and rational behavior. <laughs> oh, my God. Basically. Of course it does. What a bunch of scientists did is they 
put people into like an MRI machine, which mm-hmm. monitors your brain activity. And when people were aroused, <laughs> all these like different centers were just fucked. Like they yeah. just make horrible decisions. But they also found that passionate love brought upon from showing partners pictures of their beloved was really strong in the initial stages of the relationship, but wasn't activated for long-term partners, which kind of simulated this like honeymoon effect. It activated areas of the brain, which was related to learning and memory and emotional processing. And they had a lot more dopamine, which was the reward and motivation hormone, Mm -hmm. than people who were in long-term relationships. So if you're still in the early stages of falling for somebody, seeing them still releases special chemicals in your brain. But once you've settled with them and once you've established, okay, Mm -hmm. they're not going anywhere, I'm not going anywhere, your brain relaxes and it is like, I'm used to this. I'm not going to give you any more drugs for this person. Right, exactly. Like you still have affection for them. You still have an affection and also you still have libido. Right. Yeah. Just not supercharged from... the the crazy hits that you get from initially meeting. And they also had higher levels of cortisol, which is like a de-stressor. I thought that was really interesting. Just thinking of your partner releases this hormone, which makes you feel more relaxed and calm. Yeah. Which was very cute. That is sweet. So it says it tends to fade after like one to two years, but there are ways to sustain this type of effect of like a honeymoon period throughout your relationship. Some things that they recommend are doing new activities with each other that challenge each of you, you know, different things that you can do together and cuddling because it releases that bonding hormone oxytocin and then paying attention to each other's love languages, showing that you're paying attention to each other and that you care and you're being attentive and keeping it fresh and doing new things. And yeah, keeping it spicy, keeping it kosher. Mm hmm. So that's your little tidbit on the science of love in the honeymoon phase. Yeah. So stages are, I want to hump you. I want to get to know you. Mm -hmm. And I want to meet your mom. Yeah. Isn't that nice? You know, you you can't want to meet their parents without first wanting to jump their bones. I mean, it all makes sense, right? All that testosterone, all that estrogen. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, too, because a lot of people think testosterone is for men and then estrogen is for women yes, but we yeah. have we have different levels of each and yeah a lot of people so like some women have high levels of testosterone and have a very high libido mm-hmm. i just want to dispel that myth i guess that it's one or the other mm-hmm. we, we all have mixes of both and yes. they definitely both play parts in both sexes in that regard yeah very yeah very important roles mm-hmm. which is super interesting and also like very clearly like an evolutionary tactic mm-hmm. you know it's yeah. advantageous behavior to be or yeah. responses. So yeah, your brain literally wants you to get addicted and just like stay with somebody. Your brain just takes over and knows what to do. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. Awesome. There's a little science corner for you, Mary. Thank you for supporting us. Yeah, I hope you liked it. Okay. I think we should waste no time because we got a pretty big topic. Yes, we do. Today. And we should jump right into it. What are we talking about, Mo? We are talking about Nordic white aliens. Yes. Because there was a TikTok that I saw, which prompts pretty much most things that I talk about, I feel Mm -hmm. like, where uh, supposedly the government disclosed that Nordic white aliens were roaming our society. Yes. And so I sent it to Jeremy and I was like, wow, we should look into this. And it turns out it's a huge 
mind fuck it is of just oh like my god huge like just so much fuckery and just madness yes. and i'm very excited we, to talk I, I know about for, it i know for a fact that we both put in ridiculous amounts of research into this and i'm pretty confident that neither of us walked away with a similar cohesive thought about what this is all about i feel like i'm going to relearn all of this as i'm talking about it yes. again because yeah. i don't i don't know yeah. that i can ever really fully understand what's going this on this is some ancient aliens <laughs> shit <laughs> this, is, this yeah. is going to be a fucking mess. <laughs> Turn your brain off. It will help you. <laughs> you know? If it doesn't make sense to you, good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Honestly, though, if, if this doesn't hit you, you're lucky. You're, if, you don't, if you don't understand this. You're doing okay. You're a healthy human. This is going to be a lot. Sharing their curiosity to know the unknown, their tension, their readiness for inconceivable adventures. Is it human or inhuman? Earthly or unearthly. The Pleiadians were trying to channel through me. And this phenomena that's taking place today is as old as our history. They started to come to me in my dreams. Nearly all are benign, they're benevolent, they want to help us. We have come to visit you in peace. Unbelievable. Fantastic. But I tell you it could happen. I'm going to talk about what Nordic Whites are a little bit and feel free okay. to jump in at any point in time when you feel like you have information to add. But first, I want to explain why we kind of jumped into this episode to begin with, which is that the government supposedly is working with aliens. Whoa. Yeah. What the hey? The ex-minister of defense in Canada. Mm-hmm. Isn't that right? Okay. Yeah. Also an Israeli ex-minister of defense gave the same statement. Exactly. They came out of the woodwork like, no, aliens are real and they're among us and we're actively working with them. As far as uh, technology is concerned, they're light years ahead of us. And we have learned a lot of things from them, a lot of the things that we use today. And we could get a lot more, too, especially in the fields of medicine and agriculture if we would go about it peacefully. We've been working for decades with white Nordic aliens. Right, and there isn't really much more information on that. I couldn't find anything more. It's all, yeah, hearsay. Which was disappointing, but also like maybe there's a reason why. Maybe there's a reason. Google's in on it. It doesn't want you to find the correct search result. <laughs> right. So Nordic whites are thought to come from the star cluster Pallades or Seven Sisters. They are said to resemble Nordic Scandinavians in being very tall, around six to seven feet. They have long blonde hair, fair skin, and blue eyes. A lot of contactee stories say that they're beings that have powers that include telepathy, and they're very benevolent. They tend to want to help the people that they interact with. And a very common theme with them is that they want to save the planet and they want to save it from us. <laughs> so yes. they've integrated themselves into our society amongst us to try and sway us into taking better care of the Earth. Yeah, it falls under the category of Space Brothers. This whole little genre of extraterrestrial contact stories where well, sometimes the aliens look a certain way and sometimes they behave a certain way. In this case, the aliens are tall, blonde, sexy, telepathic, kind. They want to help us. They're all about love and understanding. Mm -hmm. And typically in regards to war and pollution, very uh, new age, which we're going to talk about, about a lot of new age concepts in this episode and very um, flower child, kind of hippie dippy. Yeah, very hippie. When like contactees talk about them, 
They usually talk about them being very loving and protecting of them. Mm -hmm. And they contribute to a lot of spiritual growth with that person versus the gray aliens, which you're probably more used to, where it's like they're probing them and they're abducting them and they're doing all these experiments on them. The Nordic whites are like your friends. They are the nicest aliens. If you were to look at quote unquote known extraterrestrials, Mm -hmm. you've got the grays, you've got Nordic whites, you've got tall whites, and you've got reptilians. Mm. I think you've also got tall grays. I think there's little grays and tall grays. We can't get into it. (laughs) But like there are different subspecies of aliens that contactees claim to have met and interacted with. But we're going to be talking specifically about Nordic aliens. Yes, but there's many others we could pop into at any point in time if anybody was super curious about one of those in particular. There's so much information on all of us. It's ridiculous. It's insane. I'm going to jump into the history of Nordic whites and how we got to where we are now. So the pop culture references started around like the 50s or so. A -hmm. lot of them are tied to a film called The Day the The Earth Earth Stood Still. Still. Yes. Yes. Where aliens come to Earth to warn humans about atomic weapons. 1951. It is like one of the most prolific sci-fi movies Mm -hmm. of all time. Have you seen it? I haven't actually. It's good. It's actually very good. I watched it in a film class and uh, it's black and white. Very old retro sci-fi flying saucer White dude comes down in a tinfoil suit and Mm. everyone's freaking out. It definitely paved the way for like our understanding of aliens and pop culture. I think if we had any alien, this is the best bet. This is the best case scenario. Yeah, best case scenario. Absolutely. Because they're like not going to enslave us (laughs) (laughs) or probe us. They're just like going to wag their finger at us if we do too badly. Yep. Like the referee. Right. Okay. So in regards to the day the earth stood still. David J. Skull, a film critic and cultural historian, wrote in his book, Screams of Reason, Mad Science and Modern Culture, that the genesis of the Nordic alien myth was very likely inspired by the sci-fi movie in which a peace-seeking alien lands in Washington, D.C. by way of flying saucer to deliver an urgent message to mankind, urging them to cease the growing nuclear arms race and incite world peace. The 1950s, important time that plays into this, were when UFO mania and the Cold War were building and affecting American culture and the American psyche. Yeah. It wasn't until we thought the Russians could be invading from the skies from anywhere Mm -hmm. that people started to really watch the skies and start to see some strange stuff. Mm. Uh, In the movie, the alien protagonist is portrayed by a tall white man with a fair complexion. Mm -hmm. And the earliest Nordic contactee accounts sprung up around the time this film came out, or a little bit afterwards. Mm -hmm. Um, I have nothing else to input here. I just wanted to say that. Yeah. So... I'm going to backtrack a bit now Mm -hmm. into this culture called the Hopi. So the Nordic whites are thought to explain the Hopi prophecy. And this is a whole deep dive. Okay. Are you ready to go deep into history? Yes. I'm going to lay this information on you. Lay this pipe. The Hopi are Native American tribe who live in northeastern Arizona. And it stands for behaving ones. Behaving ones? Yeah. Okay. They believe in the spiritual laws of harmony. It's hard to pinpoint exactly what they believe in because it's mostly told orally Mm -hmm. between them. So like the stories vary a bit, especially depending on like what specific Hopi tribe you talk to. And they have superstitions with sharing their stories with outsiders. 
So a lot of the things that we probably know are more broad versions of what they actually believe because Mm -hmm. they don't want to spread all of the really nitty gritty details of their culture with just anybody. Yeah, sacred information. Exactly. So the general idea of their century old religion and their belief system is that the earth and everything that we know was created by Tawa, who is the sun spirit who formed the first world out of endless space. Other accounts say that he created Sotu Khan, Sotu Kang, Sotu Kang. I'm going to say that. Okay. There's going to be a lot of mispronunciations. <laughs> There's going to be a lot sort. of mispronunciations. Some accounts say that Tawa created the first world, and then other accounts say that Tawa created Sotu Kang, his nephew, who then was sent to create the nine universes. Mm-hmm. That's wild just to create a nephew. Right, just to create a nephew. <laughs> you alone, you build somebody. Who am I? Uh, my, my nephew. Nep- my nephew. <laughs> There's no brother yeah. or sister. I know I made you. That makes me your dad, but... Um, no, you're my nephew. You're my nephew. <laughs> I didn't understand that one either, but we're going with it. So the nine universes, there was one for Tawa, the sun spirit, one for Sotu Khan, the nephew, and then seven others for the rest of life. So the first three are said to have already been destroyed by the wickedness of man. And each time the Hopi are protected and emerge to populate the next world. So the worlds are also said to be made by the spider woman who worked as a messenger between the people and the deities like Tawa and Sotu Kang. Okay. Some stories say that she also created all of life under their direction. So the four worlds. (laughs) God, okay. So the first world was said to hold insect-like creatures who dwelled in caves unhappily. So Tawa sent the spider grandmother to the world below to improve it. And basically she led them on this long journey to the second world to help them like grow and evolve. Grow and evolve, right. That comes up a lot in this whole fucking genre. Uh, Yep. So they then entered the second world where they began looking like wolves and bears. They weren't any happier than the previous world, so then they were led to the third world. By the time they had arrived there, they'd become people. And along the way, the spider grandmother taught them things like weaving and pottery. Also, each time they enter a new world, the past one is destroyed evil broke out amongst the people of the third world. And so the spider grandmother was upset and used a hollow bamboo reed to grow the opening of the new world, which is known as the Grand Canyon for them. Okay. And the people with kind hearts were the ones that were able to make it. So all the evil people were kind of shut out to be stuck in the third world, which was destroyed, and only the kind people, the people with good hearts, were led to the fourth world by the spider-grandmother to thrive and repopulate the earth, basically. The promised land, yeah. So that was humans? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, that's where we are now. Right. So Tawa destroyed the third world in a great flood. Before this, the spider-mother sealed the good people in hollow reeds as boats so that they could survive the flood and then make it onto, like, islands and you know, fuck off and do yeah, whatever. Right. Which mirrors a lot of like Christianity. Like, right? yeah, like Noah. Like Noah's Ark. Flood. Yeah. So this like story varies a little bit, but a lot of that seems to be tied to like the Christianity idea of like Noah's Ark. Mm-hmm. And they think that was probably inspired by it a little bit. Or maybe a great flood just happened. Well, the thing is, it could, so, so, <laughs> so many faiths too, like, same in with like Gilgamesh. Mm-hmm. That the whole story revolves around this like ancient man. This is probably the broadest of strokes, 
like an ancient character mm-hmm. who lived through a great flood, which like kind of restarted the world. Mm-hmm. In a lot of other faiths as well, in creation myths and stuff, there's a lot of floods that sort of act as like global baptism and like washes out all like the bad things and we start over, which is really weird. Mm-hmm. So maybe there was a big flood. Maybe there was just like a really big flood at some point. And then, uh, I don't know, this general idea was really engraved in society, which I think is pretty interesting. Right. Because at this happen. point, at this point with who we're talking about, no one's really writing anything down. There's no yeah. real recorded history. So anything could have happened. You know, Mm -hmm. we're talking thousands of years. And also, like, if you hear other people talking about this story of, like, what happens, you probably connect the dots and fill in the story for yourself. Like, you don't really know what happened to destroy this other world. But, like, all these other people are talking about a flood. Okay, that's probably, that must have been what happened Mm -hmm. then. It Mm -hmm. must have just been, like, a flood that destroyed the world. And then we survived through boats. Because flood is the limit of your of your understanding of destruction. Like, I know right. floods come through and destroy things, so flood means bad, start over, destroy. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Like how nowadays we would say bomb. Like a bomb went off and restarted the world. Mm-hmm. That's our version of a flood. So this is kind of where it takes a turn into being really fucking out there. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, All right, yeah. I don't know how they came up with this. Yeah. But in the Hopi prophecy, there is an idea of the blue star Kachina. So this signifies the coming of the beginning of the new world by appearing in the form of a blue star. Okay. So we are currently in the fourth world, and there are seven total for all of life. Okay. And we're going to keep moving along until we reach the seventh world, which is like the peak of existence, Mm -hmm. I suppose. So we are ushering out of the fourth world, and we're going to be entering the fifth world. And this blue star is supposed to signify when that is going to happen. So, like, the flood happened, and that fucked us over. This mm-hmm. is kind of the warning sign of, like, when something's going to happen. Okay. And the Hopi are the promised people, right? So they're going to be the ones that are protected and saved. They're going to be the only ones ready. Right. Exactly. So this is the ninth and final sign before the day of purification or annihilation of Earth. Fun. That's super cool. So there's this guy by the name of Frank Waters. He also goes by White Feather. Okay. And he is a writer on Hopi religion. And he states, You will hear of a dwelling place in the heavens above the earth that shall fall with a great crash. It will appear as a blue star. Very soon after this, the ceremonies of my people will cease. Hmm. That is spooky shit so that is yeah that that well what's what i love about that i love when stuff like that is just like the, the language used is just primitive and vague enough to where you're like oh that could be you know like my mind immediately goes like oh a ufo mm-hmm. or like you know something coming down a comet an asteroid right but also like knowing the alien background i'm thinking there's some mother ships coming, coming back exactly so modern day hopis tend to equate this to world war three And they believe that the U.S. will be ripped apart by war, leaving only the Hopi and their homes intact, which, like, honestly, probably not that far off. (laughs) (laughs) About a month away from this. And then they believe that a true white brother will come to Earth in search of the Hopi, who will steadfastly adhere to their ancient teachings. So if the brother fails the mission and cannot find uncorrupt humans, the Earth will be destroyed and no one will be spared. Okay. And going back to that movie, The Day the Earth Stood Still, there was a stipulation to that movie, the plot I forgot to mention, Mm -hmm. is the reason this guy, Klaatu, this one true white brother, comes (laughs) on down and he says, 
world peace. You guys are on the path of destruction. You need to find world peace. You find out at the end, he's trying to prevent it because the other alien federation, the Galactic Federation, whatever, is going to annihilate Earth if it doesn't get its act together in a certain mm-hmm. amount of time. That was his real reasoning. So this mm-hmm. this concept is is being repeated here as well. This idea of get your act together for the good of all of us. And if not, we're going to destroy you. Yeah, we're just going to kill you because obviously you're too far gone and we can't yeah. help you. You're too much of a liability. Exactly. So the true white brother has a name in their culture. It goes by Pahana or Bahana. Hmm. And it's also known as the elder brother. The true white brother is said to have left for the east when the Hopi entered the fourth world and began their migration. So the Hopi went on the series of migrations throughout Earth or whatever to populate. So while they were doing that to populate Earth again in the fourth world, Mm -hmm. the true white brother left and he went east to separate from all of them. But he is said to return again, and at his coming, the wicked will be destroyed, and a new age of peace in the fifth world will begin. So, the Hopi have actually appealed to the UN, stating that, quote, We must correct and change our ways, go back to the spiritual ways, and take care of Mother Earth. If we do not, we are going to face terrible destruction by nature, unquote. And I'm sure that was heard. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that UN's like, well, let us, hold on, let me cancel my calls. Let's right. fix this. Let's fix this. Yeah. So they they are very furiously under the belief that the more we turn away from Mother Earth, the more we will see of disasters like floods, we earthquakes, Yeah, no, we Yeah, right now we're already seeing, we're you seeing, know, it's snowing in Texas right now. Right. Well, that's not supposed to happen. <laughs> I don't think so. If the Hopi were ruling, that would not be happening right yeah, now. Yeah, I think there was like earthquakes in Iowa, right? Something crazy happened in Iowa. Really? I have no idea. If you're from Iowa, email us and tell us what happened. <laughs> right. Something crazy was happening in Iowa last year. Iowa, please tell me. storms or something crazy like that? Anyways. Please inform me, Iowa. But yeah, so basically, that's what their whole belief system is. So the existence of the Nordic Whites are said to encapsulate this prophecy that's been going on for, you know, however long the... Hopis have existed, which is like a very ancient Native American tribe. Like this idea has existed for a very long time. Yeah. And now as a society, we're kind of also finding this idea separately, but they correlate really well to each other. Mm-hmm. So is it a correlation or is it more of we're influencing other people and yeah. other tribes? Right. Is the question. Yeah. Because there's so many reoccurring narrative threads mm-hmm. across cultures, across the world, that especially with this story, in all kinds of cultures all across the world, there's a very similar story as the one that the Hopi have of Space Brothers coming down to stop destruction and to you know guide us. And honestly, for the rest of the episode, if it helps, think of it this way. Anytime you hear Nordic White mm-hmm. or a Palladian or a Space Brother, just think Angel. Just replace it with angel. It's this beautiful white person coming down from the sky to teach you this incredible, give you this, you'll feel love and acceptance and enlighten you spiritually Mm. and help you grow your soul, essentially, to become a more mature, responsible and loving creature. It's just angels. What if that is what angels are? What if we just perceive them that way, but they're actually just aliens? I mean, that's a whole other like. That's a whole rabbit hole in that's itself. A, it really, no, it really is. It's like such a fun rabbit hole too. We should definitely like just do an episode about UFO religions 
Ooh, where it, where yeah. it pops up. It's just absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. Western Christian imagery also depicts angels as gorgeous, long-haired, pale humans. But this probably has more to do with like Eurocentrism right. and inherent racism. I was going to say, idea yeah, that, this... yeah. But if you actually look at the actual depictions, descriptions of angels and angelic intervention, it's not conventional somebody coming down saying, hey, I'm a human. Mm-hmm. Here's a clear message. It's like hallucination. It's abstract geometrical shapes. It is these weird pale creatures that are mm-hmm. emitting light and love and have no clear form, but they're kind of humanoid and they speak directly to you. They speak to your mind. Telepathically. Telepathically. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a real trip to, to look at with the idea that maybe angels or aliens or vice versa, which wow. is, again, very I love that very idea, far actually. Out. I'm, yes. I'm very into that idea. And that it has been intertwined in different cultures, which is also scary to think about because if there is like a little nugget of truth, let's say to this prophecy, then like there's some nugget of truth to this prophecy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I think there immediately is because that is just, in my opinion, a fact that we are poking a sleeping bear by not Mm -hmm. taking care of the planet, you know, because the planet feeds us. We forget that because we're in our houses and apartment buildings and looking at phones and watching TV shows. We forget that, like, we can do these things because the earth is providing and we are uh, we are mining it for its resources. Right. If we don't start being respectful, bad things are going to happen. Geological changes, atmospheric changes, environmental distress. Mm-hmm. This is all real. Um, and this is like ancient cultures reconciling with that in the form of mythology, in the form mm-hmm. of a creation story. Yeah, because I think you can track that idea as long as humans have been doing anything industrial, mm-hmm. even remotely, even building log houses, right? You have to destroy the earth to do that in some way. Yeah, you have to mutilate a part of a forest to make the timber, to do this. To do that. Like you, everything mm-hmm. we have, we take from the planet, right. in a sense. And we're not necessarily giving back. No, we're, gi- we're, giving, them, we're giving it garbage. Like, you know, <laughs> we're just shitting back into it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, jumping off of that, there's some other areas where... The idea of Nordic whites and Palladians, whatever you want to call it, enters old folklore and mythology and religion. And I'm going to talk about that really briefly. Heck yeah. And again, we're going far out and we're not coming back. So keep that in mind. This is woo-woo as hell. This is is very (laughs) woo-woo. Give it to me. So Nordic aliens are purported to come from the Palladian star cluster, also referred to, like you said, the Seven Sisters, and the region known as Messier 45, which sits in the northwest corner of the constellation Taurus, somewhere between 434 and 446 light years from Earth, hmm. quite far away. But they are believed to come from this region of space. Mm-hmm. And in folklore, Pleiades plays actually a pretty relevant role. So if you remember, I talked about two local yokels back in the 50s and 60s, George mm-hmm. Adamski, George Van Tassel who both interacted with these sort of Space Brother characters. This isn't a Roswell episode, I think, right? No, this was, no, this was uh, Space Brothers and Dick Shavers. Oh. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> so um, ufologist and author George Adamski is cited as one of the earliest contactees claiming to have met extraterrestrials strongly resembling Nordic aliens. And I'm going to remind you of who this man is because it's also kind of important to get the whole flavor of this mm-hmm. entire episode. Adamski, acclaimed UFO writer, amateur astronomer, Con man, pathological liar, womanizer, quasi-cult leader, failed winemaker, and third grade graduate. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) 
allegedly first came into contact with such aliens in 1946 when he photographed a UFO one night at a California campsite. Mm. I'd also like to digress for a moment. I did mention that he was an amateur astronomer, but actually he just had access to a telescope. (laughs) And um, I also said failed winemaker, but in reality he illegally sold bootleg wine during Prohibition, a business plan that quickly failed after Prohibition was repealed. And according to his friend, that's when Adamski said he had to get into this, quote, saucer crap. It wasn't until 1952 when Adamski came face to face with the Nordics when he met Orthon. Right. Yes. An alien who who appeared to Adamski in the form of a humanoid from Venus, more specifically, a young white guy with long blonde hair and funky space clothes. Right. Uh, And he telepathically enlightened Adamski with a message of peace and love. Orthon stressed the urgent need for mankind to abandon their violent nature and prevent nuclear annihilation. Mm Mm-hmm. In Adamski's book, Flying Saucers Have Landed, Adamski lays out some of the earliest Nordic alien lore, claiming they and other alien races falling under the Space Brothers brand were concerned by Earth's detonation of nuclear bombs because the radiation wasn't only poisoning the Earth, but also spreading into space and contaminating other planets. Mm. Adamski also claimed that the Nordic aliens worshipped a creator of all, a one true God-style deity that mankind knew little about. According to Adamski and other contactees, Nordic-type aliens were all similarly beautiful and spiritually evolved, inhabiting many of the other planets in our solar system. According to Adamski, he and other contactees were selected messengers, handpicked by the Nordic aliens to spread peace across Earth. They enlighten, they leave, they find more people to enlighten, and those people then do their work and sort of, it's like a... It's like an MLM. (laughs) He said other historical figures were also messengers. For example, Jesus Christ. Mm. When you think about a similar message. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, From Wikipedia, this is directly from Wikipedia, quote, Adamski further claimed that aliens were peacefully living on Earth and that he had met with them in bars and restaurants around Southern California. Right, of course. I hate Adamski. He's so, (laughs) George Adamski is, is, oh. Well, he's, he's also how we got I'll See You in Time, right? That was from a story related to Mothman. Isn't it from this because he asked like when he would see him again, Orthon, and he said like in his mind like I'll see you in time, right? Yeah, that was that was in the in the Mothman episode. There was a guy who came down in an egg shaped UFO in the fifties mm. and like met him and was the Grinning Man. Remember he was really, really creepy uh, and grinning. Yeah. Yes. You're right. There's you're a right. whole lot of hullabaloo to pick through. Um, <laughs> There's so much to remember between like all of these things. They're all yeah yeah. <laughs> It's like trying to remember dreams. Yeah, exactly. So Adamski was flown across space in Orthon's spaceship, meeting a cast of bizarre space dwellers, including a mentor he called the Master, a 1,000-year-old man who taught him secrets of the universe. So there's this reoccurring theme of ancient things passing on forbidden knowledge mm-hmm. or, you know, spiritual knowledge. If I came to you one day, I was like, holy fuck, Jeremy, I got abducted by an alien and it taught me all this shit. Would you believe me? I don't know. What if I came to you so calm and collected, like, listen, listen, it happened. Like, it fucking happened to me. I don't know. I would 100% hear you out. Yeah. And, like, respect whatever your story was. What if I, like, pinky swore on it? Oh, well, that changes everything. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't know. I, I, think, I, I think I would definitely, like, be super interested and hear what yeah. you had to say. Because I feel like if you came to me, you strike me as somebody who is, for the most part, of sound mind. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, and so if you're like, listen, Mo, this happened. This mm-hmm. fucking happened. I'd be like, I don't know. 
<laughs> you know, like that. Are you sure you didn't just like have sleep paralysis and you'd be like, listen, I've had sleep paralysis. I know. I know that it wasn't. I'd be like, yeah, OK. Also, that's the worst part about purportedly meeting an, an alien or coming into contact with something is really nobody believes you. And the only people who do believe you are the people you don't want on your defense team. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? These people are like, oh, yeah, and there's also a castle on the moon. Right. These, these, these t- total They're crazy hiding people. under the crust of the earth. Um, yeah, but... Uh, contactees that stick with their stories, all you hear them say is like, oh, I know what I saw. I mm. know I know the truth. I know what happened. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is they'll always be the only person that knows what happened. We'll never right. know. That's like infuriating. Oh, yeah. It's why those people go crazy. Right. You know, it's not it's great much. for your life or career or family. Right. I just needed to know if you'd believe me. Um, No. <laughs> so jumping over to George Van Tassel, which was yes. somebody that I also... I talked about in our episode who met a space brother. George Van Tassel also developed relationships with similar space brothers starting in 1952 when he began to receive psychic messages from one Mm -hmm. and was eventually met with a UFO landing on his property in Landers, California. Van Tassel's telepathic alien visitors looked very similar to the kind of Damsky reported Mm -hmm. and preached an equally similar message about peace, love, and mankind's need to end war before it ends us and our planet. Oddly enough, both Van Tassel and Adamski noted that the space brothers they met had come from Venus. Mm. This is what I think is really interesting because, like, for example, I found an article by this guy named David Calvert. Uh, It's an article called Exobiology in the Search of Sangral. I don't know what that is. I just wanted to share this one excerpt that is about the Venus theory. Quote, if there ever was such an entity, he certainly didn't, talking about the alien that George Adamski met. If there ever was such an entity, he certainly didn't originate from Venus. Its surface temperature is high enough to melt lead, and its atmospheric pressure is 94.5 times higher than Earth's. Without a heavily pressurized suit, Orthon would have exploded the moment he set foot on our world. It has been speculated by some ufologists that Orthon may well have lied to Adamski to hide the truth behind his true origins, unquote. Um, I think George Adamski can't be trusted, but George Mm -hmm. Van Tassel I do find very trustworthy, even if he's a little bit strange. I just looked up really quick, since we're talking about Venus, the possibility of life being on Venus. Mm -hmm. And they actually published an article NPR did in September of 2020. So fairly recently, fairly recently that they found a possible sign of life on Venus. Mm. So scientists say they've detected a gas in the clouds of Venus that on Earth is produced by microbial life. So they're trying to understand why this gas, it's called phosphine, is in such large quantities because there aren't really any explanations as far as like geological or chemical for why there is so much of it. And they're starting to feel that maybe... It's being produced as like a byproduct of a microbial... Exactly. ...thing. That's crazy. So hanging on to that Venus thing, while we're on this Venus thing. Yeah. In Jewish folklore, we're going back to Pleiades, in Jewish folklore... Two fallen angels named Azazel and Shemhazai came to earth and each fell in love with human women. Oh. Shemhazai's lover was called Istahar. She promised to be with him if he taught her the power which allowed him to fly to the heavens. When Shemhazai taught her, she flew far away and never gave herself to him. As punishment, Isitar was placed in Pallades. Interesting connection, Isitar, she is also associated with the planet Venus. Mm. 
So obviously this kind of story is highly metaphorical. It's like, you know, any kind of creation myth is very, Mm -hmm. very metaphorical. But the mention of sentient life being banished to the Pallades star cluster and the myth's connection to Venus makes for a strange coincidence when you consider that these Nordic aliens are thought to be Palladian and that George Adamski and George Van Tassel and a lot of other people who claim to meet these space brothers Mm -hmm. claim to meet what sounds like Nordic aliens who were telling them that they came from Venus. Mm-hmm. It's just a really weird, I thought it was worthy of, of mention. Was this? I, I, I thought that was very strange. I like that too. So on this article, it says that Venus is very similar to Earth. And before it was quite as dramatic as it is now, the surface was pretty habitable at one point. Okay. And with the sign of gas, it's very plausible. Plausible? Plausible. Plausible. <laughs> there is or was life. So what if there was life and they created like a stronghold at some point or they just fucked off altogether? They were there and then they fucked off to Pallades or whatever and abandoned it. Yeah, we have no idea how they travel. We have no idea, you know, again, hypothetically, I'm not saying I'm believing any of this, but it's interesting. We don't know how they travel. We don't know what they really are. We don't know if they're even in our dimension, really, if they're just visiting us in our dimension. Mm -hmm. There's so much. There's so much lore out there about this stuff. Another thing that I think is interesting is the Pallades star cluster is visible to the naked eye, which is mm-hmm. also why it appears in a lot of religions and, and folklore and mythology. Because it is very bright. It's a part of the constellation Taurus. Right. Okay. But it's also present in the Big Dipper. Big Dipper. So if you're stargazing, you can very easily see the Pallades star cluster, which has more than 800 stars in it. Damn, holy shit. Yeah, that's why it's so bright, I guess. Seven sisters, my ass. (laughs) Interesting little connection as well. To Bronze Age Europeans like the Celts, the Pallades were tied to funeral and mourning because at that time in history, because the stars move as time goes on, it's not, our night sky is not what it looked like thousands of years ago. Right. The constellation would have risen on the day between the autumn equinox and the winter solstice, a.k.a. Samhain. Remember Samhain? It's yeah. the Halloween. Yeah. It's like yeah. The, the day that the dead come back to the earth and mm-hmm. things were at their spookiest. Mm. So this thing, Pallades has always been tied to otherworldly contact and divine Ooh, intervention. I like that. How interesting. So like maybe the whole concept of Halloween is like dressing up so that they'll stop contacting us. Or some way of pleasing whoever's visiting mm. and avoiding judgment. Right. Ooh, that's, um, yeah. that's a fun concept. I like that. Yeah. Let's move into what I think the fucking Space Brothers and the Palladians are really present in now is New Age alien faith. Yeah. I don't know if you've looked into this much. The supernatural and New Age beliefs found their way into UFOlogy sometime in the 1950s, blossoming during the 60s and 70s as spirituality was redefined by the counterculture and popularized holistic approach to faith, health, and consciousness. Think astrology, alternative medicine, transcendental meditation, and like fringe science. Mm -hmm. Um, An emphasis on spirits as well. So in New Age thought, there's actually a term for these non-physical beings, these these angels. Okay. They are referred to as spirit guides, guardian angels, or simply contacts. Yeah, you see that a lot with astrology, spirit guides, Which leading is, you on your plan and your destiny. But that's what Nordic whites are, essentially, are spirit guides, when you really right. boil it down. Which is like a, a bizarre concept to me to wrap my head around, that there are these guides specifically for me and for other people. Yeah. Like, I, I, 
I don't. Am I that special that I get my own spirit guide? I don't well, know. That's what I think the crux of this new age thought. You know, there's an ego to it. Mm-hmm. Everyone thinks they're special. It's just really, yeah. It's like I have my own spirit guide. I'm important. This is like off topic, but I just re-downloaded Twitter, and I haven't used Twitter in like many, many years. Like a new update or a new feature that I haven't used before is topics. Like you can follow specific topics, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. But I decided to follow astrology. And my, Big mistake. <laughs> my sign, which is Virgo. And that is in it so much of people talking about spirit guides. And like, I don't believe, I don't like disbelieve. I guess I think astrology can be fun in certain ways, but I wouldn't like plan my life around it either. It's a lifestyle. It, it re- in my opinion, I think astrology is definitely a lifestyle. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing I've noticed is like how much people talk about spirit guides. Mm-hmm. Have you heard about channeling? Yeah, channeling and like letting them lead you yes. and like meditating on them and like That's a big part of Palladians. So I'm going to get into that. Do you mm-hmm. want to would you finish your thought on Twitter? That was pretty much it. Okay. It's, it's just like seeing just how prevalent of an idea that is because, contacts and right, guardians. Exactly, because like I always knew about astrology, but I I didn't really ever explore the idea of a spirit guide until it was kind of thrust on me when I joined right. Twitter again. Yeah. And people are just like so very into this idea of spirit guides. It goes way beyond your zodiac sign. You know what I mean? Most mm-hmm. people just know like my horoscope. What's my horoscope? Right, it's like, like, no, if you go deep, the belief is much more expansive than that exactly because i was thinking i was going to get some like fun memes of like virgos or something (laughs) right (laughs) instead it's like have you found your guide yet is your spirit damned right because like a lot of what they say is like i'm feeling like you're going to get a lot of money recently like Mm -hmm. all of your goals and work you've been doing is going to manifest soon like if you are feeling lost don't worry just rely on your spirit guide like they're going to show you the way and believe in that and i'm like oh i mean okay too good of news. All of the premonitions they're giving to everybody is such good news that it can't all be true. But that's the ghost in the machine. That's the capitalism in religion. You know, in some way fund us, in some way. Mm-hmm. Whether it's buying uh, an astrology app, subscribing to a newsletter, paying for something, and we will give you comfort. Yeah, that was like hard for me for a second because I really like my mind wanted to dive into it so hard. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting to me because at the bottom of these big threads, right, they have their PayPal and their cash app and their Venmo and all this stuff helps fund these readings and all Mm -hmm. these things. The more I was on it, the more days I spent and the more like readings I saw, it was all just the same thing repeated over and over. Oh, you've been manifesting this thing and it's coming really soon for you. Mm -hmm. Oh, this good thing is really coming. Oh, you've been working so hard. You you turn on any of the televangelists, what do they say? God is telling me that something is coming your way. You keep on planting those seeds. Yeah, exactly. And they will grow. To plant a seed, send me one payment of $10 and God will plant your seed. Like that's how right. it goes. It's it's all the same yeah. stuff. And it's like, oh, that lover is thinking about you and all oh, that person, oh, like, yep. you know, feel like they really missed out on an opportunity with you. And like, at first, it's really nice things to hear. It's like validating. It's, so it's yeah. like, oh, There's... God. Yeah. Like, oh, my God, this feels like finally I can get some resolution to this thought I've been having. But yeah. it's like, really? And even that might trigger your actions to actualize it, to right. manifest it. And just because you're in that mindset, if someone who you think is getting information from a cosmic intelligence, Mm -hmm. they tell you you're going to have good luck with love soon. Mm -hmm. Okay, they must know the truth. Your next romantic interactions, you are going to treat very seriously and then have a better chance of finding a love connection, whatever. You know, manifestation is definitely a real thing. 
Sorry to deviate. I just no, found that totally. all very interesting. No, this is like related to this. Like it's yeah. all so back to the idea of contact and channeling. Mm-hmm. A popular staple of new age groups is the belief and practice of channeling, essentially making contact with these non-human spirits by entering a trance state, typically through some form of meditation. Mm-hmm. And practitioners claim to have communicated with a wide variety of contacts from angels, gods, historical figures, and even extraterrestrials. So in a nutshell. It's all about enlightenment that can only be attained by spiritual development and a little supernatural assistance. New Age thought sees the world changing via cosmological cycles. Here's the claim. The Mm. world once lived in an age of spiritual wisdom. The ancient world was actually far more advanced than it is now. Think mystical continents like Atlantis or ancient technology, ancient aliens. Mm -hmm. So this ancient period of enlightenment somehow led to a spiritual decline, identified astrologically as the age of Pisces, which is like 1 AD to, I think we're still in it. Mm -hmm. Um, And the next age, which you may have heard before, is called the age of Aquarius. Mm. And that is thought to be when humanity finally returns to a state of deep spiritual growth and happiness. We're in age of Aquarius right now. Uh, where'd you hear that? It's all over the astrology boards. Okay, Are you not okay, paying I, attention? I figured, I figured yeah, because I heard that it's coming. <laughs> um, yeah, so when Age of Pisces ends and Aquarius begins is debated among New Agers with prominent figures offering different dates. A popular belief is that the Age of Aquarius commenced in 1967, while others suspect its arrival would come in 2012 with the end of the Mayan calendar. And many believe that it won't come for several centuries. But like you said, a lot of people think we're already in it. What exactly does this age of spiritual enlightenment look like? Theories range from the world transforming into a utopia to a worldwide transcendence during which humans evolve into like literal spiritual entities. Mm -hmm. In the mildest sense, this new age would bring about societal improvements, an end to war and violence, and the merging of science and mysticism. Ooh, I would love that. That would be real cool if we could do that. (laughs) That would be super um, rad. It's a, 2021 is supposed to be the first year of Aquarius, and it's supposed to last for over 2,000 years. Right. But uh, again, how the fuck do they know this? Do you want me to tell you? Don't give me it. Yeah, please, actually. I'm <laughs> very interested. Because it's based on the sun's location in front of stars. So basically, when it moves in front of a new zodiac constellation, so the age of Aquarius begins at the point when the sun is no longer in front of the constellation Pisces. So okay. it's moving to the constellation Aquarius, which makes it the age of Aquarius. Oh, okay. Cool. Which is where the sun is. And that will last two thousand over 2,000 years when the Earth is shifting from one axis to another. Yeah. When you think about it, though, the age of Aquarius is so undefined. It could just be the apocalypse. Yeah. We all die and go, go to heaven or wherever. It's the blue star. Yeah, the blue star. Exactly. Man. Aquarius is Coincidence? blue. Coincidence? I think maybe. Aquarius is blue. It's an air sign. <gasps> an air sign. Air? 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 Uh, air? UFO? <laughs> air? UFO? You mean air, like space? Like uh, aircraft, but spacecraft? UFOs in the air. Right. It was the age of Pisces, and there's floods. There were floods. A UFO in the air. You got angels in the air. You got God. You got spirits. The age of Pisces gave us floods. We're going to be challenged. The age of Aquarius will bring us air. Oh, man. (laughs) You you sound like JFK. (laughs) I believe in the age of Aquarius. (laughs) I believe. So the quote unquote merging science and mysticism is at the core of ufology's nuttiest camp. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Mo. 
the new, <laughs> <laughs> the new Age Extraterrestrial Movements and UFO Religions, which are incredible. In the early days, just spotting a UFO was enough to change a person, both inwardly and to the rest of the world. You saw something unexplainable, something few others had seen. It made the individual reevaluate their world, and it made the world reevaluate the individual. Witnessing a flying saucer fractures your worldview and earns you 15 seconds of fame. Mm-hmm. So it itself is like a, a changing, a growing. You enter a whole nother level of existence and you're, where your focus is very different than it was before. Mm-hmm. It's like when you have sex for the first time. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> person touched me, made me feel love. <laughs> they poked and prodded me and told me I was beautiful. They probed me and told me I was perfect the way I was. Mm-hmm. But also to dismantle... The nuclear arsenal. (laughs) Ufologist and author Bud Hopkins wrote about how in the early years of UFO research, ufologists rarely considered that there was something inside the UFOs. Mm. The focus was on the tangible. What is that? What is it made out of? How does it fly? In his own words, he says, quote, We were busy trying to get the license plate number on the getaway car without (laughs) figuring out what the crime was. Mm. Um, So the focus later shifted away from the spacecraft and towards the pilots as more and more people came forward with claims of alien abduction and contact. Mm -hmm. Alien abduction stories and related UFO phenomenon would go on to spawn UFO religions. And I want to get I'm talking so much. and I apologize. No, you're good. I'm very invested in all of this. Okay, cool. So UFO religion is any religion in which the existence of extraterrestrials and their UFOs is an element of belief. Okay. Um, UFO religions generally center around the belief in advanced alien life that is invested in the well-being and progression of humanity, like Space Brothers. Okay. And that mankind will eventually join the advanced alien civilization, whether it be mm. literally or by transcending spiritually. Okay. You will become an equal, or at least very least better. Right, okay. Even George Van Tassel came back with enough spiritual knowledge after his abduction to form a kind of new age movement that centered around using sound waves and frequencies to rejuvenate the body and spirit. I don't know if you remember that. The Integratron is that building that currently stands Mm -hmm. in Landers, California, which he was instructed to build from the Space Brothers. He also peddled other cosmic wisdom he claimed to receive from the aliens. Also, fun fact about George Van Tassel, his full name was George Washington Van Tassel. Mm. I thought that was hilarious. That's big dick energy. That made me laugh really hard at 3 a.m. in the morning. (laughs) The father of our country and a guy who believed in like magical sounds from aliens. See, I feel like he should be the inventor of tassels. Van Tassel. Mm -hmm. And and now they're on the titties of strippers. And you know know what a a tit looks like? (laughs) Kind of like a UFO. Yeah, George Washington invented that. Top down view. Yeah, George Washington did that. (laughs) George Washington did that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thanks, Joe. They look like saucers. They look like saucers. The um, titty tassels look like saucers. The tassels? Well, the tits from a top-down perspective look kind of like saucers. They're kind of round, (laughs) right? Well, like the stickers. (laughs) Like the stickers that go over nipples. And then they have the tassels attached. Okay, anyways. (laughs) I got really excited for that. The stickers. The stickers? (laughs) Let's let's move away from areolas. Also, what the fuck are tassels for? Why did we start putting tassels on strippers? Well, because you can fling it around. Like when oh, they, when they shake around. their boobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Rawr, rawr. You can also like direct them towards you by grabbing onto the right. boob and like a leash. Um, Van Tassel <laughs> even practiced channeling to communicate with the aliens. At some point, channeling an extraterrestrial contact called Ashtar. These, I can't not say that dirty. Ashtar. 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 Ooh. Uh, these types of communications are what led Van Tassel interpreting the Bible with extraterrestrial intervention, having guided human evolution. Also, Jesus was an extraterrestrial, according to Van Tassel. 
I mean, sure. I mean, hey, why not? He was why healing not? people. Yeah, he was stepping on water. Yeah. There was a professor at a university. I don't know if I ended up taking notes on it or not, but he was convinced that aliens were breeding with us, like Your purposefully. Professor? Your professor said this? No, like a professor at some university. It was like Stanford or some shit like that even. Yeah. But he was convinced that there were aliens among us and they were breeding with us. And at some point we're going to reach a threshold where we are more like them than us. That is a really weird persistent fringe theory with ufology is the idea that the aliens are us or were us and now a few steps ahead of us in the evolutionary process. Or B, the aliens spliced their DNA into ours being the originators of our evolution. Maybe they just find us really sexy and so they can't help but breed with us. I mean, have you seen my legs? It's true. I yeah, mean, I have damn. great calves. God, I got an ass on me now. Mm. Quarantine added some... Uh, Put some, some meat on my bones, you know? I have some cheeks. <laughs> I'm not going to comment on that. A lot of being sad and sitting down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I want to close off by talking about star seeds. Hit me with the seed. This is just, at this point, what, I, what we're talking about is a big dumpster fire of gobbledygook. Hit me. Star seeds. Also known as star people or indigo children. Uh, It's a fringe theory arguing that certain people originated as extraterrestrials and arrived on Earth through birth, reincarnation, or a kind of metaphysical possession. And it was popularized by writer Brad Steiger, who wrote several books involving New Age ufological theories. Steiger says, essentially, that star people are humans who come from a special gene pool linked to visits by extraterrestrials. Star people inhabit human form and doing so suffer amnesia in regards to their true identity and life purpose. Mm. And they just live life as a human. They eventually experience an awakening, which is either a gradual realization over time or a sudden dramatic awakening. And by awakening, they regain their uh, true identity and past life memories. Wow. Um, Where starseeds come from varies, but a common belief among them is that they hail from Pallades. So Palladians today, what's going on today? Right. Starseed YouTubers often post scheduled vlog updates with vague predictions and prophecies, as well as meditation videos featuring trance-like music. Another common thread amongst these people and groups is conspiracy theories and radical ideologies like Satanism in media, anti-vaccine beliefs, Mm. and a belief in an antichrist new world order. Right. All fun stuff. With an online presence across all social media platforms, Palladian fringe theories are propagated by people who believe themselves to be awakened starseeds in chat forums, self-help blogs, and YouTube channels. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'll probably play some audio from these. Um, Ooh, I would this. like that. Yeah, so an example that I found. One YouTuber named Alex, who claims to be a Palladian prince, oh. uh, he's a starseed, releases vlogs where he lectures about the Palladian agenda and announces vague prophecies. An example, this is a direct quote from him. Hmm. This is a direct quote from a video I watched. (laughs) On Thursday, the 28th of January, there is going to be a very special celestial event. Something very significant is going to happen that everyone will see. It will occur in the mainstream media. It will be filmed. It'll be on the mainstream news. There is going to be, um, a visitation. Unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, his next video was entitled 28th of January, No Show and Apology. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> so, like, it's just a cycle of these things, these people being like, something's going to happen. It's going to be big. Ooh, lofty, vague words, big, cataclysmic, evolutionary. Mm. 
oh, you'll see. And like relaxing spa music is playing in the background. And Alex always clarifies that his prophecies aren't for personal gain, but that he is only disseminating this information for the Pleiadians because they asked him to for the betterment of humanity. Right. Yeah. Many modern day Pleiadian starseed content creators are like Alex offering pseudo philosophical advice and positive affirmations, which I think is a big part of mm, it. Yeah. Uh, like very new age Christian vibes almost. Because in Alex's videos, he's always seated in front of an image of Christ. Oh. And he also has long golden hair. Like he's uh. very much tries to look like a Palladian, like a Nordic white. Mm -hmm. He kind of talks very calmly. I think he's British, but mm. he talks very serenely. And now it's come to the point where Satanism is actually being promoted and sold to our children in their TV programs. Now, again, you might think I'm paranoid as some kind of overprotective parent because I have four children of my own. But actually, if you see the evidence, you'll see that it's undeniably clear that this is happening. That was kind of all over the place, but that's basically the gist of this Space Brothers stuff. And this is where I stand with this. And this is from author Joel Aikenbach um, in his book, Captured by Aliens, The Search for Life and Truth in a Very Large Universe. He says, quote, the starseed are precisely the kind of new age figures that traditional ufologists can't stand. UFologists look outward towards the universe for answers to the alien enigma. New Agers look inward. Interesting. My least favorite thing about all this stuff is the fact that it's just people with like a sense of importance. You know, I'm the alien. I am this. Right. I think that is probably a very relatable idea to a lot of people, though. Because you feel different. You feel like an outsider. Right. And then like this is some like explanation in a way. Yeah. Because like a lot of people have that pull to a higher purpose. Right. And that was kind of similar to the whole twin flame idea. Mm -hmm. Too is people feeling this pull to like a higher purpose or a higher whatever, and they're supposed to do good and heal and you know do all this extra shit. Yeah. And that's a lot of what the Nordic whites do. They have this like higher purpose and healing the earth and doing all of this good. So if people relate to that, they might be like, oh, that's that's yeah. what that is. That yeah. pull that I have. That's me. Oh my god. Oh, you know, it all makes sense now. Okay, I'm definitely going to right now play. An excerpt from another Starseed YouTuber named Braca Goldsmith. And now I'll bring in the Pleiadians to see what they would like to share with you about this coming full moon in Leo. Woo! We are so excited about this full moon in Leo. Don't be afraid of it, dear ones. Don't let all the other people say, ooh, 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 ooh. don't get into that. This is an exciting full moon. It's a moon that is energetic. It's strong. It's powerful. It shows you that you've got so much more power than you realize. You don't use it all. You just, you know, a little timid. Ooh, dare I? Ooh, should I? Oh, yes, you should. <laughs> That's what we say. Yes, you should. Go, 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 go. That's what we're saying to you. So would you like to hear some reasons why aliens might be plausible? I would love to, because after all this research, my first thought is this is a bunch of wacky tabacky. Right. So here are some other reasons why aliens might be plausible. So we already talked about the Pentagon spending like five years investigating unexplained aerial phenomena, mm -hmm. right, with the... What looked like rockets that were going at unexplainable speeds. They were doing all these maneuvers yeah, that just right, weren't possible. Right. And that was released fairly recently. It was like a white pill-shaped aircraft. Right. And they still don't understand what this is. Like, they, they never actually found out. Yeah. No other country seems to have made this or has the ability to make anything like this. Mm -hmm. It's unexplainable. And we talked more about that, and I think the Roswell 
episode, that specific case. So yeah. if you're interested in that, go listen to that episode because we dive really heavily into that concept. Also, in 2016, astronomers argued over whether weird pulses of light coming from a distant star were evidence of an alien megastructure. So apparently, we were getting these pulses of lights that can't be explained by physics that we understand, but it could be from an object passing in front of a star in orbit, a satellite or something like that. Okay. Like an object, not like right. space junk. Orbiting this star. Mm-hmm. So like as it's orbiting, it blocks out the sun, right? And so we're getting pulses of light from this really, really distant star. But okay. like, why would we be getting that? We don't have anything to explain it really right. from what we it's understand. Morse code. They're giving right us Morse now. code. Yeah, right? There also are many inhabitable planets. They estimate one in every five or six. That's habitable as fuck. Right. If they meet these requirements that it's rocky and in the Goldilocks zone, not too hot or not too cold. They're ah, they're in that funny. perfect little ring. Yeah. So if it's rocky and is in the Goldilocks zone, one out of every five or six of those planets are habitable, Damn. supposedly. Yeah, to something. Habitable meaning biology allowing organisms to survive in possibly harsh environments. Yeah, just like Venus with like the gas from the microbial whatever. Exactly. It could be anything that's living, not just an alien dude. Mm-hmm. So that's really fucking crazy that to think crazy. about, too. Yeah. One in every five or six planets. And that, like that makes sense. Out of the billions of billions of stars available, there are just going to be planets that harbor life. Yeah. There just has to be. Like yeah. it, it makes no statistical sense that there would be no planet out there that doesn't have life on it. And then the last bit that I have. So we have been getting radio signals from something for years. They only last for a few milliseconds, but those milliseconds emit more energy in that time than the sun does in 24 hours. God damn. What the yeah. hell? And it's coming from somewhere outside of the Milky Way. But we don't know <laughs> we don't no. know where Spooky. or why or from what. God. Aliens are going to kick our ass. Yeah. I, you better hope that it's Space Brothers. We better hope you know, just, Nordic They're just going to step on us. Right. That's such a freaky idea. That's more than the sun in 24 hours. And there was uh, Stephen Hawking, I think, said it, where the biggest mistake humanity has made is reaching out and, and sending the first song that we sent out into space. And he said that was the greatest mistake humanity will ever make because yeah. we're letting them know that we're here. Yep. And if they can receive it and interpret it and find us we're fucked mm-hmm. because they're already more advanced than us it's like um it's like with what people say about ouija boards it's like you're opening a door that you might not be able to close right hypothetically so uh, we ooh. we just we opened the door but i think it was the voyager record right mm-hmm. yeah but um by doing that we're sending out a little hey i'm here hi right hi you want to come Kill me? Rob me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Such an optimistic thing for us to do without, I don't think, even considering the consequences. No, not at all. So that's super fun. That's fun of us. Yeah. But again, we see what is beyond us in the sky as God, you know, right. fundamentally. So we, our first thought is like, they're going to want to talk to us. Right. They're going to want to see how good we've done. You know, we want to meet our maker. Yeah. But in reality, the old saying, I put you into this world, I can take you out. <laughs> oh, fuck. That's scary. Yeah. thought of aliens are scary. It is, honestly. I mean, it's crazy. I think it would be very unifying for for the humans, not for humans and aliens. But, I mean, talk about throwing away old arguments. Like, okay, mm-hmm. I, I know that we were debating, like, I'm an atheist and you're a Hindu and we can't get over our differences. 
But right. um, there's aliens, so we're both wrong. You know what I mean? Right. We both don't know what we're talking about. Yeah. And that is where any kind of growth happens, to step away from your biases and beliefs and allow in a new way of thinking. I think that was all very interesting. I think that was a good dive into Nordic whites. Yeah. And I feel educated and also not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like I, I think I texted you when I was done researching this. I'm like, I've never put in so much research and come out knowing less than when I went in. All right. I think I much prefer the less new age side of ufology, the more like- yeah. Sciency, if it is a science, you know, here's the facts, here's what we've got, here's right. like what you're talking about with like the signals and stuff, yeah. as opposed to like, well, I talked to an alien, you see, yeah. and he told me to throw away your bombs, Mr. President. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know that that's as cool. That's true. That's true. Well, if you enjoyed hearing about all of that, feel free to give us some feedback or let us know how much you love us or any of that jazz. Uh, you can send us an email at according to an idiot at gmail.com. If you're not really the emailing type, that's okay, because we also have a Facebook and Instagram at According to an Idiot and a Twitter at Idiots Accord. Well, we will let you know when the latest episodes are out if you're really jazzed to know right away. And we usually give some cool like artwork and stuff. So if you were wondering about that giant vulva from earlier, definitely check out one of our social media pages and you can stare at it with us in <laughs> bewilderment. <laughs> Yes. We also have a Patreon We have a now. Patreon. If you would like to patronize us, get on our Patreon and see if there's a tier that best suits you, something that you can afford um, if you want to support the show. There is no obligation. This is still a free show. Mm -hmm. We are starving artists, and we would love a little bit of daddy's pocket change. Yeah. We're, we're calling you daddy. We're trying to ramp up the show as much as we can, yeah. uh, especially in the year 2021 and getting editors hired so that we can crank out more podcast episodes for everybody and really just firing up. So if that's something that you would like to support and something that you are excited about, Patreon is a great way to support that endeavor of ours. We will leave the uh, link to that Patreon in the show notes mm -hmm. and you can just peruse, take a look, see what you think. We explain it further on the actual page itself and just uh, check it out. Yeah. We would love your support. We also have a little bit of merch now, nothing too crazy. So if that is something you're also interested in maybe taking a look at, we will include a link in our link tree for that as well. Beautiful. So what is your good vibes, Jeremy? God, my good vibe? I got to think because I actually <laughs> did not have a good vibe planned. My good vibe is that I finally fucking, after 24 years of existing, found jeans that fit me. I thought you were about to say found Jesus. It's <laughs> like it's about time. Yeah. You found jeans that fit you. What do you mean? I finally found fucking jeans that fit me. I always had to tussle with belts and shit, and that always irritated me. And oh, they were, really? They were always it's like It's because you're willowy. Big. I told you you're willowy. I'm very long and lanky. Mm -hmm. Like, my waist is small, but I have big hips and I have very long legs. So it's impossible to find oh, the right proportions. Thing. If only that was the standard of beauty. <laughs> <laughs> you shut the fuck up right now. A thin waist, wide hips, long legs. That must be hell. <laughs> it's not what I'm getting at here. I'm very oddly proportioned yeah. compared to the average person. I have very long gangly legs and very weirdly portioned torso. So it's impossible for me to find jeans and I finally did it. I great. finally did it that to where I don't though. need to have a belt just to keep my fucking pants up. You know what? I'm proud of you. I mean, talk about spiritual awakening, spiritual growth. A good pair of blue jeans, hot damn. Right. I'm wearing them right now. Could you tell? I'm not even wearing a belt. 
Look oh my how, god, look. Look at that. You aren't wearing a belt. Those look like nice jeans, actually. Levi's. Levi's. Good quality. Who knew Levi's were so good? America did. Everybody. Yeah, I Levi's. was late to the party. I'm <laughs> no were. longer late to the party. You were. Yeah. So my good vibe is I want to spread some love to our patrons. <gasps> As of this recording, we have seven whole humans in the Spook Squad. In the Officially. Spook Squad tier of our Patreon. And let wow. me tell you these beautiful Bubba's names. Bubba's names. Thank you to the following special people in my life. <laughs> Julia. Paige O. Love you, Paige. Mitch. Mitch, I know Mitch. And Mitch, thank you for supporting. You're uh, such a nice gentleman. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, Dom. Ah, oh, thank you, Dom. Oh, you know Dom? Mm-hmm. Mary Bates. Yeah, Mary Bates, who sent us the lovely message That's earlier. Right. Nicolette. Nicolette's also wonderful. Okay. And, and hold on. Here's from the J Dog camp Fat Man XXL. Oh. Hell yeah, Fat Man. <laughs> I love you. Hello, Fat Man. <laughs> you are welcome here. My good vibe is Fat Man. I hope everything's going well. Yeah, thank you all so much for supporting us. And pray to the Palady Star Cluster and channel your best and brightest star man and let him guide you to our Patreon. If you were an angel coming from the stars, how would you lure somebody in? What noise would you make? You can't say anything. What noise? Go. <laughs> I'm like, yes. What do you got to say? I'm listening. And then that's when I say, hey. All right. Well, <laughs> I'll see, I'll see <laughs> you in time. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> bye, everybody. Bye, I love you. See you in time. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs>